Hey there, and welcome to Pink Squirrels, brought to you by Sapia AI, your guide to the future of HR, HR tech, and big HR ideas. Hello there, everyone. Very special episode of Pink Squirrels this week, all about how you can achieve and better measure that elusive, frankly, pain in the butt metric, quality of hire. This is actually a recording of a recent webinar in which I was joined by Barb Hyman and Madeline Lorano. Madeline, of course, being the chief analyst and founder at Aptitude Research. You'll learn how to measure quality of hire, why structured interviews really matter, and how candidate feedback is linked to better talent prospects. Let's do it. Now, Madeline, as we learned in our last session, your research has found that interviewing is a top priority for companies, and this is a change from previous years, 36%. Those surveyed also believe that interviewing helps them identify quality of hire. My first question to you is, do you believe this is accurate? Do you think it's possible to accurately or reliably determine quality of hire from an interview? Or are people just relying on their own biases and heuristics to determine quality? And quality just means I like this person. It's so interesting because quality of hire is something that we've been talking about for decades now. It's been this big topic in talent acquisition. We know this is the holy grail, the number one metric that everyone wants to measure. And yet there's still no standardization around what quality of hire is. Very few companies understand how to measure it. They don't measure it consistently. So it's such an interesting topic that is always going to get a lot of attention because there's really no blueprint for it. I think for companies, especially last year, I saw like a big shift where quality of hire was just if somebody was going to show up, especially for high volume industries. And that's definitely not the way to think about quality. I mean, quality, you know, and Barb says this, it's it's the right person for for the job. I mean, this is kind of the, the you know, the best situation. This is the success story. Um, and for organizations that are just in this crazy chaos of the past year, they're just looking at, are we having somebody accept the offer or even show up on day one? And that has become quality for a lot of organizations. So there's, there's really no standardization around what this means for companies, but I definitely believe that you can get after quality of hire when you have an interview process that's based on structured interviewing, which is based on consistency, which is based on having you know this fair and, and equal opportunity for everyone. So Bob, what do you think about that? So what I used to say when I was in HR to leaders hiring is think about what you're looking for in three different circles, you know, the beautiful Venn diagram. You need to get someone ideally who can do the job that's a really important piece, but how they fit into your team and what is the right member for your team at this point in the journey of your team is also important. You know, what do you need on your bench? Do you need everyone to have the same profile or would it actually help to have a bit of diversity in terms of experience and mindset? And I'm a huge believer that diversity is critical to drive innovation. And then the third circle is around the company, which is this person suited to what our company culture is all about. And we all know there are really big different cultural requirements if you're in a mature, you know, organization that has very established processes and norms versus a startup. And I think too much effort is put into just one, which is can they do the job? And then I think the way people assess that is through a CV, which doesn't really tell you very much it may just tell you that they've done that job before. So I think there needs to be a more holistic 
view around what it is that you're solving for when you're bringing someone into the business. And then it's a question of, well, how do you measure that? Um, and unfortunately, at least for me, that what I've seen, particularly in tech companies, is measurement is lots and lots and lots of people having conversations. Um, if we can get calibration because everyone on the team has met this person and they all go, whoa, this is person's fantastic, you know, let's hire them. So, you know, it, it, there is a science to how you think about what you're solving for. And then I think you've got to bring as much science and data and ideally objective data as possible to figure out how do I make the right decision about can they do the job? Are they the right person for our team? And are they going to thrive in this culture? So, Madeline, this, the, the statistic, the second statistic here, 35% of companies reported that uh, interviewing helps them to make better decisions. Uh, we can also read that as 65% say that interviewing doesn't help them to make better decisions. I mean, that gels with with what we're saying here around um, the, the lack of data or the lack of accurate measurement. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I think to Barb's point too, it's just the CV or the resume. That's where companies go to when they look at quality of hire. And you could have a great you know, interview, interviewer, you have a great interview process. And if at the end of the day, the hiring manager goes back to that CV or resume and makes decisions using the data that they're finding there and, you know, making that their quality of hire, that's the challenge. You know, I think a lot of this quality of hire discussion is a data discussion and a data issue. I mean, quality of hire requires pre-hire metrics and post-hire metrics. You have to have pre-hire metrics and data that you're collecting that informs decision-making from interview assessment data, reference check data, whatever, you know, wherever that data is. And then you also have to understand your post-hire metrics as well. You have to understand first year retention. Why are people deciding to leave voluntarily? Why um, are some employees performing and others are not in that first year? What does productivity look like? All of those metrics have to factor into how you think about quality of hire as well. And unfortunately, TA doesn't often have visibility into those post-hire metrics. I mean, some TA professionals don't even have visibility into first-year retention to be able to look back and see, you know, where, where are they getting this information for the people that they recruited to see if they're still with the organization. Yeah, and, and so I, for me, I think that, um, you know, we talk about, AI and what AI can do. And obviously AI is incredibly powerful and really the only way you're going to get that learning loop happening, right? That's otherwise impossible to do it in any size organization. And recruiters often feel really confronted by that. What does it mean that I'm doing? But that's where I think there's such liberation for them to go and spend time in the business and say, hey, Madeline, this person that you're trying to hire or this role that you're trying to fill, let's talk about it. And let's really understand, like, why did that person leave that was only there for a short time? Um, what do you think the real profile of success is? And, you know, it might be an objective, a subjective view initially, but the point of you actually trying to diagnose the space, you know, diagnose what it is that we're trying to solve for, and then use AI to do all the heavy work, right? Like, that's, I think, the conversations that don't happen and the thinking that doesn't happen by hiring managers. You know, the number of times that you just put out a PD a position description that was used previously, you know, your full stack engineer might be different in terms of what you need in your context and your team to what I need in my team. So that's where I think there's a massive opportunity for TA to get really into the business and understand what success looks like and challenge the hiring manager on what success looks like and really outsource to smart technology that does it better, that does it fairer 
um, to figure out whether or not the long list of people that are coming in, you know, are the right people for the role. So, Madeline, quality of hire is determined as the most inter important interviewing metric. 62% of companies surveyed said that that was the case. What's interesting is that candidate experience is at the bottom with 28% of companies rating its importance relative. We know that good candidate experience is uh, almost, you could say, directly linked to, to quality of hire. If your hiring process is inclusive, if it works well, if it's quick, if it doesn't take long to go from A to B and, and to hire theoretically, and if you get feedback from the process, you're automatically increasing the width of your talent pool and also the, the people that come through and, and therefore your hiring quality. So it's really a case of, um, you know, fixing the problem of garbage in, garbage out, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so too. And I think um, a lot of companies, you know, this is a, a survey that companies take and they report on the metrics that are important to them. I think for a lot of companies, quality of hire is the number one. We know this is number one metric in TA. It doesn't necessarily mean they understand how to track it or they have a process to do so. Um, and I think they often don't realize that correlation with candidate experience or even recruiter experience when it comes to quality of hire. So, you know, it's, I think it's taking that step back, looking at the data that companies are collecting, looking at what success is, looking at that post hire side as well. And I think the other interesting piece is I'm seeing some companies like separate quality of applicant with quality of hire. And that wasn't the case for a long time. It was like, we just talk about quality of hire as like one big broad sweep of everything. And it, that could be just somebody that accepts an offer. That's how an ATS tracks it. Like everyone that's quality is just who accepts an offer. And that's, you know, quality of applicant. It's very different than quality of hire. Um, and a lot of recruitment marketing teams that deal with kind of top of the funnel before somebody applies, their metric is quality of applicant. So it's very interesting to think about kind of these two metrics how they're related and is it helping or hurting this whole quality and, and, and quality of quality of applicant by those organizations is measured how is measured um usually with conversion rates like if somebody is converted from being interested in recruitment marketing to then applying for a job at this organization because i've also heard quality of, of hire being measured quality of applicant being measured by cvs right, the data that sits in a CV, do they come from the right schools? In fact, I remember pitching um, quite a while back now to a large tech company who will remain nameless, but we would all know, enormous, and they said, in the US, this is to the Australian team, the only candidates we look at are candidates who come from six schools. Mm -hmm. If they don't come from that, we don't think they're good enough for us, you know, because we really value intelligence or some other criteria they mentioned which is just mind-blowing to me in today's age, that people still see, one, that um, the colleges that you go to are a filter for, for potential, um, given all the bias that we know exists in that. And secondly, that you're limiting yourself to one data point. Um, you're missing out on an enormous amount of talent. And if you keep fishing in the same pool, you're certainly not going to improve your diversity. So I found that amazing. But, you know, there's so much research now, Madeline, that says that how you performed in the past and the fact that you've done a job previously doesn't make you great at that job. It's unbelievable. I mean, the, the school conversation I heard, I shared this with you earlier, um, one organization that I was talking to, I can't say who, they looked at quality of hire just as the school that you went to and if you grew up on a farm. I mean, both of those factors 
are filled with bias and also don't indicate if somebody is going to be successful at your organization. They just absolutely do not. So it's just very interesting that this is the go-to for a lot of organizations. And then you see some companies on the high volume side changing all requirements. Like we don't care about, even if you went to school, we don't care about drug testing. We don't care about a lot of these requirements at all. And we have to rethink quality of hire under you know a very different lens. I certainly agree that all of those dimensions up here, apart from quality of hire, really matter for recruitment. You know, I do think that they're accountable to deliver great results in that. I think one that is missing here, which I really love to use, is how do you really measure whether recruitment and the brand is doing an awesome job of attracting and winning great talent, which is ultimately is what you're responsible for as a recruiter. Are we building a great brand out there in market? Are we getting great people? Are we winning those people? So I use cross-offer win rate at the median salary. And the cross-offer win rate captures both, if it's a cross-offer, it means that you're competing for talent, which must mean that you're a proxy for going after great people. Um, if you win it, it says that everything that you're doing through that process has gone really well. You know, all the whether it's speed, whether it's the um, quality of the interview experience and then at the median salary to me it's really important because you can always pay for talent but if you're managing to get people within a band that says that you've managed to sell on something other than salary you're selling on um, experience uh, through the recruitment process the opportunity in the organization you know you've had to work hard and build something that's really defensible and not replicable um, to win that talent. So, you know, I think how many people, particularly in the white collar space, are you getting where you're winning against, you know, your top three competitors in market? I think that says a lot about how efficient, how effective, how compelling, how engaging your hiring experience is. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and, you know, I think even in, in the high volume space too, I think there's a lot of competition that companies could think about it that way as well. Speed, like, so one thing that I'm hearing, I had a conversation with an enormous tech company this week who's wanting to solve for the fact that they lose 50% of candidates halfway through, you know, through their recruitment process, which is four weeks, six weeks, they have multiple levels. And so everything now is about speed and it's speed to, and you know that, you, well, you don't know because you don't know who you're missing out on when people drop out, whether that was the best person that got away. So, you know, that's where I think, again, having data and clarity on what data you need to make a decision and doing that in a very automated, structured way is kind of table stakes now for business to get that, that scarce talent. Can you make offers in white collar in 24 hours? You know, can you do it in 48 hours? Like, what would it take? And it has to be something other than rounds and rounds of interviews and, you know, CV data. I think that's going to get you there in a, in a confident way. Um, I love the speed conversation too, because I think it needs to be pretty granular, like time to fill so broad, like we don't know, like where the where we're breaking down in that time to fill metric, like where, where the challenges are, but speed, I mean, you can look at speed, it takes for somebody to apply for a job, speed to be able to um, receive some communication by the time they apply to, you know, whatever type of screening and pre screening might happen, the speed to interview the speed to assess the speed to offer speed to onboard. I mean, it, speed, I love speed as a metric because I think it really gets after where the problems are in talent acquisition. And there was a company um, 
Yeah, that they were they they looked at time to fill, like the traditional time to fill metric that everyone does. But their TA team said, can we look at time to respond? Like we know we have a candidate experience issue. We know we're filling positions in 40 days. That's our standard. Um, we know we can do better. But what's our time to respond to talent? And they found that the time to respond was 90 days. So they were looking at time to fill in 40 days. They weren't responding to any candidates that they knew were not getting that offer until 90 days after. I mean, a horrible candidate experience. And you know, if they if they could break that down and look at speed in that kind of granular way, yeah. they could figure out yeah. where time to respond plays a role. I don't have data for this, but I'll put it out there anyway, which is I think if you're still getting people accepting your offers at 90 days, or even 60 days, you know, are you really attracting the right person? Because I know that I would make a decision in part to join a company based on how quickly they're able to extend an offer to me once they've made a decision. And I've heard this from others. If it's 24 hours, if it's a week, like one speaks to bureaucracy, one speaks to, you know, talent, right? So it says a lot um, to the candidate about your culture, how quickly you're able to move you know so one metric i think not so much um it's not exactly what you're talking about madeline i think but time to decide so we now track for our customers how quickly can they make a decision and you know in theory they can make a decision within a few minutes but you know how quickly are they actually getting to decision um i think that's really important because um you know the the, the ability to um, have data to be able to do that fast the only way you can do it is with really objective data Absolutely. I love that time to time to decide, time to decision. The beauty of have it, having it within one data ecosystem too, as with Sapir, is that you can see exactly where that decision time is breaking down, where we're in the process that, and, and you can't really get that data any other way. It's not easy anyway. I mean, let, let's just, let's just think about sales for a minute. So in our team, sure. like in every team, you know, you've got a marketing team and you've got a sales team and you're tracking when does that MQL come in? And how quickly does it get responded to? Does it get moved along? Does it become an SQL? How quickly does the sale team respond? And there's usually SLAs. You know, if you go onto a website now and you submit a form that says, I really want to see what this product is about, and you wait kind of, you know, a day, let alone frigging 30 days, how interested do you think they're going to be in seeing your product at 30 days, mm -hmm. right? Not so much. It's the same thing. Like this is a customer. This is a customer who wants to explore an opportunity with you and, you know, why aren't there SLAs for recruiters? Why aren't there SLAs which are being tracked that says, are we getting back to, you know, consumers within 24 hours after they've expressed interest? And it's almost that there's no excuse now, I, I, I think, right? Like given the rise of automation and most companies have some form of ATS, you know, what is it that's stopping teams from embedding SLAs into timeliness? Yeah, RPOs have SLAs, um, but internal recruiters usually do not. <laughs> but it's 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 a, it's a huge factor. Um, and I think like in, if you think about quality of hire, it's post hire metrics that you're considering what makes this successful. And engagement is a big part of that. Is somebody engaged one, two, three years after they've joined your organization? And if they're not getting their you know, job or they're getting any response for 90 days during the recruiting process, they're already not engaged before they join your organization. They're already not engaged. Yeah, I mean, I think if you put yourself in the human's position, right, it's such a cool thing 
to get a new job, depending on what the job is, it might be momentous for you, you know, your first job. And you want to turn up feeling pumped and awesome because people have, you know, made you feel really privileged to get this job. So I think, you know, it's so interesting to me how recruiters always challenge the use of AI as being something that dehumanizes the experience when the experience today is really quite dehumanizing and not particularly human. And so how do you use technology to deliver something that is going to be so much better from a speed perspective, but also better from a human perspective. And I, I you know, I, I really ask recruiters to sort of hold the mirror up a bit when you say human, like humans, you don't need a human to have a really human experience. Madeline, something that you said was interesting to me before as well, that, that the link between recruiter or hiring manager experience and quality of hire, can we explore that a little bit more? Yeah, you know, I think it's um, it's interesting because, and I think it's part of that engagement conversation, it's really making sure that somebody feels like they're part of an organization or they're having this positive experience. And that definitely impacts quality. It impacts their decision to wanna stay and be motivated to perform to feel productive, to feel like they have what they need, to feel like they're being supported. And I think we've all experienced that in some way or the other. And it's definitely impacting, that experience impacts quality of hire and all the metrics we're looking at post-hire that makes this successful. So, you know, I think starting with the candidate experience, we have to think about that impact on, on quality. Um, you know, and, and for organizations that, that don't, when the, neg the candidate experience is negative, we know the impact that that has on onboarding new hire experience and employee experience. Mm. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, the whole reliance on CV is just to go back to that for a minute, you know, um, who was it? I think it's Margaret Heffernan. She's this amazing woman. Um, she has the best TED talk called The Super Chickens. I highly recommend it, unrelated to this topic. Um, and she she's written a book about all of this and she talks about bias being the best shortcut to decision-making. And it is, right? That's why we have biases and why they're so effective because it means, oh, Nate went to the same school as me and, you know, he's got the same background as me. Fantastic. He must be awesome, you know, putting aside the narcissism inherent in that thinking. Um, but uh, if you can um, use a technology that can really help understand people without bringing that in, like the opportunity set of talent is just so much more enormous. I think that's the other thing organisations don't get. There are 2 billion workers in the world. There are only six, 700 million on LinkedIn. There's a lot of talent that isn't on LinkedIn and everyone on LinkedIn is going to the same people on LinkedIn. So, you know, how do you think differently about talent? Instead of going to the same six colleges, why don't you go to every college? Because technology allows you to do that in a way that's really scalable. So, you know, I think the art of the possible is now here with hiring tools, you know, so I, I think it's, it, instead of like getting a widget that's a better widget than what you've got already, how do you completely reimagine what you're doing? And I think that's really exciting, but now it's almost business essential in a world of, you know, scarce talent, um, the, 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 the need for speed um, and, you know, the need for a different kind of talent, but being able to see a different kind of talent to what sits in a CV. I find what we're looking at here quite interesting. 21% of companies say that we have bias in the interview process, which we know is is quite low. I think that suggests that perhaps um, objective data proficiency is perhaps not where it should be. But 52%, sorry, I should say, say our interview process is too long. And this comes back to the point we made before that 
it's common for hiring managers or you know recruiters to back candidates back and forth between people leaders and departments and to make sure the the person that grew up on the farm has a good handshake and and to make sure that they're the really you know they're the best person for the role but we would say based on this uh, madeline that they're relying too much on their own subjective measures that's why our interview process is too long it's not because we need so much time to make sure that this person is perfect it's because we're not using the right tools to to make sure that you know to, to find that that shortcut to that would you say that's correct yeah i think absolutely and then it, be, it feels like more work like the interview just feels like it's more work hiring managers don't have time for it they're not opening their calendars to schedule this time it doesn't feel like it's you know providing value to them in any way so it gets delayed even longer so i think you know to Barb's point, it's like viewing AI as helping with the decision-making and also helping with that kind of administrative piece for, for hiring managers too, to say, this is an assistant, not only for the candidate and for recruiters, but for hiring managers as well to say, you know, we're going to be kind of your support system through this process. Um, and for companies, especially like the, just what's shocking to me is that like during the pandemic, where it's an opportunity to rethink everything and invest in AI, think about the value of AI, think about how we can do a better job through all of talent acquisition, the interview process became longer, became more complex, became less human. And that's, to me, like a, a real missed opportunity. Uh, well, I think the thing that was clear in market was that everyone turned to video platforms. Mm -hmm. And frankly, do you really want to be spending your time watching video after video? Um, you know, the sort of Homer Simpson you know, meme that I've seen, um, which is how many more videos can I watch? You know, that cognitive load is huge for people. And, you know, I still remember back when I was in HR and we proudly brought in videos for grads and we thought that was really innovative. And all we had was complaints from the engineering managers for the next week about how much frigging time they had to spend watching videos, let alone, you know, what that bias looks like. But um, one thing that I would love to see in here next time that people are calling out, Madeline, is you know, is our interview process inclusive? I just don't think people think about it. And, um, you know, I really believe that inclusivity starts with your technology choices. And there are technology choices that are good for people and they're not so good for people. And one of the things that we see in feedback comments from candidates, it's interesting, we have this blind chat, as you know, which is untimed. And then we have the video right at the end, um, once you've gone through that you know, board-based uh, structured interview, which is obviously not blind um, and which has, people have five goes to record the video. And the feedback comments, so now we can track the differential completion rates between something that's blind in chat and video, and it is really different. It is so clear that video leads to dropout rate relative to something that is blind. The other thing that clearly drives um, inclusivity, particularly for those with stutters and with anxiety, is whether it's timed or not. The number of comments we get from candidates which say, I, I you know, I, I have a stutter. I, I mean, I don't know what the percentage in the population is, but it's really striking how many people feel that they stutter or that they will stutter, um, that they're nervous, the anxiety is just incredible. Like that, that's the human experience, right? When you really read those comments. And the, you know, when we first introduced the video, I think it's quite unusual as a product in market in that you can re-record multiple times. We had three goes and the pressure from candidates to go, please, can you do five goes? Because I, I need to try again. Like imagine someone recording a video five times 
times five questions, right? What a time suck, you know, and how tough is that for them as an experience? So, you know, when you read the comments, you realise that thinking about inclusivity has to, has to start with your technology choices and how you set it's up the so technology. True. It's so true. I mean, that inclusive piece is so important, Barb. And like in person, we saw that really come out. Like in our high volume research, we found that 27% of companies don't even ask high volume candidates if they have access to go to an interview. Like, do you have transportation? And it's um, that's not inclusive. Not everybody can afford a bus, an Uber ride, pay for parking um, to be able to come in to an interview, have, you know, have any type of transportation. But I think when you think about video, it needs to be inclusive too, and technology needs to be inclusive. And you know, there were other studies, and this had nothing to do with interviewing or talent acquisition, but just the office remote work setup and how that wasn't inclusive for everybody. Some people can afford crazy lighting, have an office, a dedicated office. Other people don't. They have to sit at a table with their kids next to them, with their spouse or partner next to them, and work all day long without any lighting, without a nice office, with no background. And that's not fair and equitable either. And we're asking our candidates to do the same thing. We're asking them to present themselves in a, a beautiful lighting situation with their you know, window across from them with no kids in the room and answer questions on camera. Not only are they re-recording the video five times, but they're spending time getting ready, getting their room ready. And it's a lot of time. Uh, I mean, I think, um, you know, I was at an event last night and there's this amazing guy, Dylan Olcott, who's the one Australian of the year, who's a um, champion Paralympian tennis player. And he was saying that in Australia, I don't know what the numbers are in the US, let's assume it's 10 times because of the relative population. There are 4 million people who identify with a disability and half of them can't get a job. And what's interesting in our experience is that people can self not self-identify that they have a disability. It's part of something that their clients want to capture. And how many people say, I want to share what that is, like they provide feedback when they finish the experience. I'd really like to explain what it is. Like we've got this society now that's much more normalised about difference, you know, and about people wanting to say what it is and how that doesn't help, doesn't inhibit, you know, perhaps being able to do the job. Maybe that's what they want to say. And a lot of recruitment processes and technology don't allow people to share who they are and to really you know tell their story like that's something that's really coming out i think it's a really positive trend how do you create the opportunity for everyone to share who they are and why they'd be great whether that's about their disability or in general like that that empowerment has to be a feature of hiring uh in 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 our 21st century world okay sorry nate we've gone off track no, 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 we haven't. This is great. This is great. The track's wherever we want to take it. Um, Barb, I have a question to you. The so our, the, the great thing about our AI smart interviewer is that it profiles candidates and, and it measures things like soft skills and uh, personality traits and things like that. What would you say to a hiring manager or recruiter um, that say, well, I can gauge soft skills from an interview, from a face-to-face -face interview. I can get a feel for whether someone's a good communicator, whether someone's a good project manager from just meeting them a couple of times. I mean, th that's that's a that's a common thing that we see. Um, what's the importance of soft skills? What's the importance of personality and having yeah. objective data I mean, the around first, that? The, the first thing I'd say is, you know, how many hours are you spending interviewing people? And would you like that to be less, right? Like what's your hit rate? 
are you interviewing five to make one offer or you're interviewing five to make five offers? Like that's what technology is there to do is to give you the most granular, refined shortlist so that your hit rate is really high because this is all about time and time equals productivity. So for me, you know, there's no way that a hiring manager can interview properly the pool of talent that comes into an organisation for any role. That's where technology is your friend. In terms of what the soft skills tell you, I mean, I think the soft skills are everything in a role. Um, you know, no one wants to hire a brilliant engineer who's an asshole, um, right? People want to hire people who they can work with, who can work in that environment, um, who, who can, you know, bring something to the team, bring something to the organisation. And the heuristics that we rely on, again, I come back to the wonderful Margaret Heffernan bias as a shortcut to decision-making, you know, measuring people's um, drive by whether they look you in the eye, whether they lean forward, whether they shake your hand hard. I mean, we've had to rely on those because we haven't had any other data, but now we do have data. So, you know, lean on smart technology that can help understand people and that you can then leverage to make the right decision for you. It's not telling you what to do, what to hire or who to hire, but it's, you know, it's, it's making you smarter. You know, and again, I always love the analogy of dating of, you know, most people bring their partner to their friends' events and family and go, hey, what do you think of this guy um, as a way of kind of calibrating, you know, whether or not they've got the right person. But how many of us would really love to have some objective data around, is this person kind? Are they, are they humble? Are they curious? Are they, you know, are they um, empathetic? Like whatever qualities matter to you and your partner, you know, are they driven? Um, are they really smart, right? Um, so, you know, I just think we all benefit in life from having better intelligence, subjective intelligence to guide our decision-making. And that's where, you know, I think the real power in what we felt is actually for the hiring manager, you know, even more so than for the, for the recruiter in terms of, of knowledge. I love this bar. I feel like this could be your next company, a dating app that your friends <laughs> give, like it's validation too. I love it. Well, you know, it's interesting. So my son... I can't believe I'm sharing this, but my son has finally got onto a dating app and they have all these prompt questions that you then respond to. And I thought, what if our AI could then be fed in and help him understand and help others understand what does it mean when they respond this way? What kind of person are they really? Yeah. Um, so perhaps watch this space. We got some phone yeah, calls to exactly. make up. <laughs> This sort of takes us to our final point. I, actually, no, you know what? I want to take a step back because I had another question for you, Madeline, and I thought it was quite interesting. Um, Companies that give feedback increase quality of hire. So how does that work? Yeah, I mean, to me, it goes back to the engagement piece too. So often candidates aren't asked anything, you know, whether it's, you know, Barb's example of the inclusive and, you know, the disability question about like, what can, do you want to share with us what your disability is? Candidates are just are not asked enough and then they're not given any feedback on the information that they're sharing during the interview process. So the, the feedback piece to me is a relationship that's beginning at the interview stage where it's bi-directional communication, which is very unusual in talent acquisition. And the feedback says you're human. I want to share with you what I learned. I want to hear more from you about what we can do better or what else you want to share with us. And it provides that humanity that just doesn't exist. And from there, it's going to attract the right talent for your organization that want to be part of that bi-directional communication relationship, but also feel more engaged in that interview process. I mean, I think we just don't think about engagement and experience enough 
when we think about quality of hire, but it plays such a big role. I mean, if somebody is engaged in your organization, if they're having a great experience, if they feel loyal to your company, they are going to be more productive. They're going to perform in a different way. They're going to stay longer. They're going to connect with their peers in a very more, you know, a more meaningful way. Yeah, I think that's the most dehumanizing part of applying for a job is being mm -hmm. ghosted. And, you know, if you were really putting the human first, you would honor the time that they've invested and share feedback with them. And we see that in the data, the, um, you know, 2 million candidates across every country imaginable, um, 80 something percent of them say, this makes me feel more um, affiliated with the brand. You know, this makes me really love this brand. This makes me feel good. Like, how do you help people feel good through a process? It can be really tough. So it just feels like such a low hanging fruit to offer this, you know, it doesn't cost you anything when you're using smart AI to do it. So why wouldn't you do it? Um, given the impact it has on the brand and the individual and, um, you know, just to go to quality of high post high for a minute, I just feel the urge to say this, but you know, what are the metrics that really matter? And we look at churn a lot and churn can be very noisy. People can leave for a lot of reasons. You know, same thing with your first week and 30 days. Like, do you feel good, right? Do you feel like if you're productive, um, if people are connecting with you, again, our technology can help people on board in a way that's really personalised and human. Like, that that's what people really want, right? So much of success in a, in a role is confidence. So what can you do to help people feel confident? And often confidence comes from really knowing yourself and the manager knowing you. And that's where I think the power of insight and knowledge as gathered as part of this really helps, you know, in an automated way, really helps people to, to get to productivity faster, which I think is the really critical post-hire um, metric that matters these days. How quickly can someone get to productivity? I think much like the cross-offer win rate, it, it captures a whole lot of things that the organisation's doing right or doing wrong. So 54% of companies say we have dedicated schedulers that work with candidates and hiring managers. But 25% say we do not have a standardised approach to scheduling interviews. And we know that, you know, perhaps the majority of companies might use an ATS system or they might have a, a, a comprehensive HR tech stack. But there's a lot of there's a lot of solutions out there and not a lot of uh, platforms talking to each other. Um, Madeline, when it comes to tech and, and deciding on the tech solutions that you need, do you have any advice for, for those listening? Yeah, I think companies are using too much, too many different solutions for interviewing all the way to offer, you mm. know, up to five, I think we found in the report. So you really have to think about the experience and you have to think about the data and consistency around the data and having one platform where you're able to look at your data, understand your data, provide that consistent experience for your hiring teams, but also for your candidates. I mean, there's huge benefits there. I think where I see companies have challenges is they're using two different scheduling tools, an interview platform, a video interviewing provider, an assessment provider, some type of offer management through their ATS, and most of it's just not integrated. Thanks for listening. Think Squirrels is brought to you by Sapia AI, creator of the world's first AI smart interviewer.